close to midnight, the anthropologist Lauren Isley boarded a New York commuter train, headed out of the city, and sunk wearily into his seat. It had been a long day. His eyes fell on a gaunt, shabbily dressed man who had in his lap a paper sack with the neck of a bottle sticking from the top. He was out of it. He was either exhausted or drunk or both. The train lumbered out of the city and the conductor came through to collect tickets. This disheveled, sleepy man slowly opened his eyes and fumbled in his pocket for a wad of bills, handed them to the conductor and croaked out, give me, give me, give me a ticket to, give me a ticket to wherever it is, a ticket to wherever it is. A lot of people, I think, on an inner level are like that confused traveler on the move, sometimes on the move at a very fast pace, on the move, but unsure where they're headed and paying a price, sometimes a very high price, a price they don't really know for a ticket to an uncertain destination. Because it's all too easy for us to lose our way to wander off the path, to stumble on the journey. All of us need guidance and support as we make our journey through life. There are times, aren't there, when we all face problems we can't solve, demands we can't meet, and that's true no matter how smart and capable we are or think we are, no matter how much others may look to us for help, And no matter how much it unsettles us to admit, even to ourselves, how confused and needy we can really be, we all need, we all need support and guidance on the journey. We need someone who knows our names and our needs, someone to warn us of hidden dangers and to shelter us from storms of avoidable adversity to care for us when we can't care for ourselves, to come alongside us and help us get back on our feet, to rescue us when we've gotten lost. We need, in other words, all of us do, a shepherd. As you know, shepherd is the Bible's most significant image of leadership. A shepherd is one who tends protects, leads, and nourishes the flock. And most of us tend to think of shepherds as religious leaders. That's understandable because the word pastor is a translation from the Greek of the word for shepherd. And while it's true that pastors should pay close attention to everything the Bible has to say about the character of leadership like a shepherd, it is also true that, sh- that pastors are not the only shepherds the Bible describes. In fact, anyone who is called to care for the well-being of another is a shepherd. 
elected officials, officials are shepherds for their constituents. Parents are shepherds for their children. Teachers are shepherds for their students. Mentors serve as shepherds for their protégés. So do coaches for their athletes and doctors for their patients and therapists for their clients. And yes, pastors for those entrusted to them. All of us who are called to any kind of leadership, however modest the scope, are shepherds. Shepherds tend to the needs of other people, and we all need shepherding. Even the shepherds. We all need shepherding, even the shepherds. It's dark outside, and Snoopy bangs on the door. Charlie Brown gets out of bed, opens the door, and crouches down next to Snoopy, puts his arms around the little beagle, and asks, Are you upset, little friend? Have you been lying awake, worrying? Well, don't worry, I'm here. I'm here to give you the reassurance you need. Everything is all right. The floodwaters will recede, Snoopy. The famine will end. The sun will shine tomorrow. And I will always be here to take care of you. Be reassured. Snoopy walks back to his doghouse, lies down on top of it, falls fast asleep. And Charlie Brown gets back in his bed pulls the covers up, and looks out with a look of panic on his face and asks, who reassures the reassurer? (laughs) We all need shepherding, even the shepherds. And, And many of you have taken up, you've taken up or you've been assigned the role of reassurer Leader, shepherd, you have been assigned the role of reassurer for your children or your grandchildren, your aging and ailing parents, your bewildered brothers and sisters, your dog or your cat. You are the reassurer. You're the one to whom the others look in times of crisis. So my question is, where do the reassurers go? when they need reassurance. Where do you go when you've been expected to be strong and you don't feel so strong anymore? When the political leader's home is washed away by the flood, where does she go to cry? Where does the doctor go when he discovers that his own body is beginning to break down, partly because of the pace of his own caring for other people? Who hears the therapist's wounded soul speak? Who is the attorney's advocate? From whose wisdom does a teacher learn? In whose presence is it safe for those who are always expected to be strong, to admit how weak they feel, and for those who are always in charge, 
to confess they've got nothing less left to give. Charlie Brown was right to ask, who reassures the reassurer? And this psalm invites us to trust the Lord is my shepherd. The God made known to us in Jesus is the one who reassures us, rescues us, guides us. Jesus, the tender and tenacious shepherd, is the one who reassures us all, including the reassurers. In his book, Vital Faith, Tom Bowden says that the most fundamental question younger people ask is, will you be there for me? Will you be there for me? We ask this, he says, of ourselves, our bodies, our parents, our friends, our partners, our society, our religious leaders, our nation, and even God. Will you be there for me? And God's answer to that question revealed in Jesus is always and unfailingly yes. Even when we can't be there for ourselves, even when we can't be there for each other, Jesus is with us. This shepherd of ours is with us to love us as we most need to be loved. James Baldwin gave this moving description of a jazz musician. The joint, Baldwin says, was jumping. And during the last set, the saxophone player took off on a terrific solo. He was a kid from some insane place like Jersey City or Syracuse. But somewhere along the line, he had discovered he could say it with a saxophone. He stood there, wide-legged, filling his narrow chest, shivering in the rags of his 20-odd years, and screaming through the horn, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And again, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The same phrase, unbearable, endless, variously repeated with all the force the kid had, and the question was terrible and real. The boy was blowing his lungs and his guts out of his own short past. And the older players, the older bandmates, stood on the stand with him, and each man knew that the boy was blowing for every one of them. Do you love me? Do you love me? And when we ask that question of God, God's answer is to go to the cross for us in the person of Jesus and there to join us in our guilt, our shame, and our pain and to absorb all the evil in Jesus' great heart of love and give us in return only forgiveness, welcome, and healing. The cross, if you will, is the staff with which this good shepherd comforts us 
the rod with which the good shepherd guides us through the troubles and trauma of our lives. Who reassures the reassurer? Are you with me? Do you love me? The answer is the shepherd. Jesus makes it possible for us to say to God, the God of the universe, you are my shepherd. And because the shepherd is with us, we can also say, I shall not want. I shall not want. Several years ago, I went with some other church leaders to Thailand to learn from our missionaries and the people alongside, alongside whom they served. And on an intensely hot and humid day, humid day we middle-aged pastors were encouraged, forced, <laughs> to make a seven-mile hike in and a seven-mile hike out in the hot, humid Thailand air, which makes Huntington these days look cool. That's how hot and humid it was. To a village to visit Tise, a head man, a shaman, witch doctor, who also happened to be an expert on sustainable agriculture. And to put it mildly, the day we saw him, Tise, expert though he was on agriculture, was also crazy. I, I am not sure what it was he smoked in that long pipe of his, but my guess is it wasn't tobacco. And Tise saw that this small group of pasty-looking pastors had hiked seven miles in. He knew we had seven miles to go back to the River Goak. And he decided, with a twinkle in his eye, to take us on a long, meandering hike through the jungle around his village. I don't know how many miles we added to the trip, but by the time we were ready to go back, I had used, everyone else had used all the water we had seven miles back. I was thirstier than I have been in my life, thirstier even than when I had two-a-day practices in August for football. I was literally, by the end of the hike, dehydrated. All of us just fell next to the river. And it was one of those odd things. The river's so contaminated, you can't drink from it. So there's water, and you can't drink it. I wanted. I could not say, I shall not want. Now, that's, that's one of the first times, only times in my life, I've been that thirsty. And I've rarely been hungry. Most of us have rarely been that thirsty or that hungry. But there's another sense in which, on an emotional and spiritual level, we've been dehydrated and famished. We've thirsted and hungered with a gnawing emptiness, and nothing we could find would fill it. Augustine said, 
I fell away from you, my God, and I went astray. Too far astray from you, the support of my youth, and I became to myself a land of want. I became a land of want. And I get to remind you today that what we really want is the love of the shepherd, the reassurance that we are held and cherished by this God made known in the tenderness and tenaciousness of Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I shared with some of you on the retreat that we took um, about my experience two summers ago now at Duke University in the bone marrow transplant clinic. Twice during those hard days, I came as close to death as I can imagine coming without dying. And in the first of those experiences, I was on that liminal space between life and death, and frankly, it would have been easier to die than to live. I, I, won't, I won't trouble you with all the details, but in the middle of an upsurge of emotion, including anger, um, Jesus came to my side and said, it's your choice. You can, you can die, or you can live. It's your choice. Now, one day it won't be my choice. But that night, it was my choice. And Jesus said, all right, let's do this thing together. Now, Jesus probably doesn't talk that way to everybody. <laughs> but Jesus talks to us in the language we need to hear. Let's do this thing together. And we fought our way back to life. And I had then and have now a visceral awareness that even though I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd is with me. And if the shepherd is with us at that limit, then the shepherd is with us always. You are in, this morning, the shepherd's tent. In ancient Near Eastern culture, the safest place imaginable was in the tent of a Bedouin chief, a Bedouin shepherd. Once inside the tent of a Bedouin chief, a Bedouin shepherd, even enemies had to stop at the entrance of the tent. There is no place safer than the shepherd's house. 
And you are in your shepherd's house. And he gives you rest. He nourishes your soul. And he assures you that he is always, always with you. Amen.